Star Wars 7x7 episode 2235 today, part one of a two-part interview with Sarah Kuhn, the author of the Dr. Afra audio drama. Punch it! Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Boyvon and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So, Sarah Kuhn is the author of the script that was used to produce the Dr. Afra audio drama for Penguin Random House Audio. And we were talking about that on the show not too long ago. Here is Sarah's full biography. She is the author of the popular heroine complex novels. That's heroine with an E at the end. A series starring Asian American superheroines. The first two books were 2016 and 2017 RT Reviewer's Choice Award nominees for Best Urban Fantasy. Other projects include the Japan set YA romantic comedy I Love You So Mochi. M-O-C-H-I. Sorry about the pronunciation if I'm wrong and a Batgirl Cassandra Kane graphic novel for DC Comics. Additionally, Sarah was a finalist for the Astounding Award for Best New Writer and The Cape. New Writers Award Cape is the Coalition of Asian Pacifics and Entertainment. She's also written assorted short fiction, nonfiction, and comics about geeks, aliens, romance, and Barbie. Yes, that Barbie. Visit her online at heroinecomplex.com. Again, that's heroin with an E. And she is Sarah Kuhn, K-U-H-N, on Twitter. And for our conversation, we talked about doing this from the first-person perspective instead of the, you know, omniscient type thing that most novels have. We talked about the perks and the challenges for writing for unreliable narrators like Dr. Afra. We talked about referencing other types of genres in Star Wars stories. We talked about breaking the fourth wall in the narration and the particular narrative device she used and why she used it. A host of other topics as well. So this is part one. Part two will be coming tomorrow. But for now, without further ado, here is part one of my conversation with Sarah Kuhn, author of the Dr. Afra audio drama. Sarah Kuhn, thank you so much for joining me on Star Wars 7x7. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. We're here, of course, to talk about the Dr. Afra audio drama, and I'm very excited to talk with you about this. This was a great ride. Um, you have written novels previously and uh, have written characters from the first-person perspective. The you know Afra appearances in the source material weren't from you know her first-person perspective necessarily, but knowing that this was going to be produced as an audio drama, how did that? you know, factor into your approach and to deciding whether to do this as a first person situation? Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a conversation. Um, when I got this uh, job offer, we, um, I, I think the first thing we did, uh, was to reread the, the comics, the, the arc that, uh, was by Kieran Gillen and Salvador LaRocca from the Darth Vader comics, um, that we were going to be adapting. It's basically her origin story. And, um, I had a conversation with Elizabeth Schaefer, who's the editor at Del Rey and Nick Martorelli, who's the producer of the drama. And, um, <laughs> We kind of talked about, you know, what was the best way to tell this story, and there were maybe a few ways we could have gone. I think at one point someone uh, said, like, maybe it could be from, like, Triple Zero's perspective or something, because obviously <laughs> he's observing the events just as Aphra is kind of observing Vader in the Vader comics. And... Um, I really wanted to tell it in her voice. I just thought, you know, if you're going to do something like this, her voice is so much fun. Um, obviously, she's going to have a lot to say about everything. Um, we've talked a lot about 
how she's a really unreliable narrator. So that brings kind of another dimension to it. And um, yeah, it was it was pretty a pretty easy decision. That was something that we were all really invested in from the get go was having her get to tell the story because you know those first comics they are called Darth Vader. They're not called Afra. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot that uh, from her part of the story that's maybe missing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just seemed like a really fun opportunity to get to to tell this story firmly in her POV. So you mentioned how she can be an unreliable narrator. From your perspective, like what are some of the perks of being able to write for an unreliable narrator? And what are some of the challenges also? Uh, well, you know, she obviously has a really own un- her own unique take on every situation. Mm-hmm. And so that was obviously really fun. And actually in the revision, um, Elizabeth, the editor, was really the one who encouraged me to kind of lean into the the unreliable narrator factor. Mm. Um, because uh, especially with an audiobook, there were so many things we could kind of do with it. We could have her, you know, rewind the, the tape because the, the framing device is that she's making this recording and we don't really know why, if it's just for her, if it's for something else. And so since she's doing that and she there's sort of this other layer she's telling the story through, she could, you know, rewind and delete things and re-record them to make herself look better, which is <laughs> she does a couple of times. Or there are parts where she, that she kind of marks to delete later because maybe they've gotten a little bit too real and she's been a little bit too vulnerable and, you know, reveal that she has emotions. So these were things that we thought would be really fun to play with since she was presenting her version of events. And then I think the challenge is, you know, obviously you don't want to use that as sort of a a trick, I guess. You don't want to say like, well, we don't we don't know what really happened. This is, you know, just this person telling the story. So I still wanted there to be a sense of like, no, there is something that really happened. Um, but here's maybe how she's crafting a narrative around it. So you can kind of see how she's doing that. And you know that she's doing that. And you still get to see the moments play out probably as they played out. But with sort of the added bonus of her kind of contextualizing things and maybe trying to manipulate things so that you hear things a certain way. Yeah, that was really a very fun part of the audio drama, I thought. And the experience of it actually what it really kind of took you on a journey because initially when you hear Afra delivering the story it almost seems like she's breaking the fourth wall and then you know a little further on you realize (laughs) that she's doing the recording and then further on you realize what's really happening with the recording and you know was that something that you also wanted to do from the beginning that idea of her recording herself or how did that come about? Yes, um, that was something that I think was in my initial pitch. You know, after we read the comics and we kind of had an initial conversation, um, the first thing I had to do was basically write this kind of pitch slash outline that explained how I was telling the story, what were kind of the new things we were adding, because this is an expansion of the story. It's not just the, you know, original events told straight. There's a lot of stuff that we added. Mm-hmm. and. So, of course, they want to know what that is in advance. (laughs) Um, And um, so, yeah, I just uh, I wrote this pitch document and um, it kind of outlined everything in sort of broad strokes. And um, I did say, you know, this is her perspective. Here's how she's kind of telling it. And I did come up with this. 
this idea of like, maybe there's, you know, a recording she's making and, you know, why is she talking about these event, events in the first place, which, which is something you sometimes have to think about with first person narration. Why is this person like telling this story? And um, so that presented, I think, what was an interesting question to me. Why is she telling the story? What is the purpose? Is it just for her benefit so she can listen later and marvel at how awesome she is? Or <laughs> is there an actual purpose? And so the actual purpose is something that I came up with that I really liked that also spoke to kind of another element of this story that I wanted to expand on and tell. And so, yeah, that was kind of in there from the beginning. And luckily, they liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... I very much want to ask you about that particular aspect of it. So this is going to get into spoiler territory-ish to a degree just to, you know, warn our listeners and viewers. But that, I think, of, of all things, is the thing that I really wanted to talk with you about. Um, so in the comics from which this is adapted, readers do get brief hints about the previous romantic relationship between Afra and Sunastaros. Your script reveals that backstory and shows just how deeply formative that relationship is for both of them. And it just makes a great story even more emotionally compelling. And I really actually don't have a question in that <laughs> other than just want you to riff on that and discuss because that honestly, I, I really feel was just the most surprising, compelling, and awesome moment in the whole story is when you realize exactly what is happening and how deeply that matters. Yeah. So yes, I will like just preface this again by saying this is a spoiler because even though this, uh, this story is a story that a lot of us know from the comics, there are some, I guess, you know, reveals what you would call reveals. Mm -hmm. um, and the biggest reveal is, is why she's making this recording and who she is making it for. And so hopefully everybody you've listened to it already, but she is making the recording for Sana and she doesn't tell us that until later because my idea of this was that she was never really going to say that she was just kind of making this recording of like, you know, here's my adventures and here's kind of revealing some of my feelings. And, you know, these are the things that I don't want to have regrets about. These are the things I want Sana to know. And that she was just going to maybe, you know, send it to her on, on the DL and like have it even be mysterious. Like it just shows up after she's dead and, mm -hmm. you know, then listens to it. I think she didn't want that to be something that seemed intentional. Like she would actually send that to her directly or something. Um, but yes, so... Uh, the thing that sort of stood out to me when I was rereading the comics was, you know, there are, of course, uh, parts missing because the comics is called Vader. It's not called Afra, And uh, like we were saying before. And um, so there are parts where she's, you know, he's doing something and she's not there or, you know, we don't know exactly what she's doing. She kind of shows up as as she's needed for for Vader's mission. Mm -hmm. And um so one thing that I have always loved is that that relationship between Sana and Afra, because I feel like um, most of what we're seeing is, you know, the gory aftermath. They clearly hate each other at this point. Sana keeps talking about how she would really like to, to murder Afra. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's pretty serious. It's not a joke. It's like she will, she wants to toss her out of an airlock or strangle her or whatever. Mm -hmm. So um, I really just wondered what, what they were like 
when they had a relationship, what they were like before there was kind of all this hate because I felt like there was so much chemistry and passion when they hate each other. There must have been something when they were together. Mm -hmm. And um, the line uh, that was already there was, you know, Kieran Gillen wrote so many great lines for Afra and so many iconic mm -hmm. lines that just stick with you. And um, the one that had kind of unlocked the story for me was she says something like, you know, the way I've lived, I, I know I'm lucky to be alive. And she spends a lot of that arc with Vader kind of joking about, you know, how are you going to kill me? If you're going to do it, can you make it this? Can you not toss me out the airlock? I really don't want that. And I felt like something that was kind of going on underneath the surface, which I sort of realized when I was rereading these comics, is there's a point where she really decides, I want to live. Like, And that's kind of been there the whole time. She has such this survivor's instinct from the way that she grew up. But she also really likes running towards the most dangerous, harebrained, thrilling things possible. Mm -hmm. And to me, those two things are very seem very in conflict. Right. Um, but I thought that her survivor's instinct would really come out at some point. And I wanted to explore, you know, how she really goes on this quest then to stay alive, even though she sort of glibly says, I know that I'm, I'm lucky to be alive and I know I'll probably die at some point. And she's being sort of, you know, devil may care about it, but she really does care. And so I felt like... You know, the part, especially when she's in Sunspot Prison and she's really kind of at a low point, she's kind of forced to face her own mortality. And then, you know, because she's Afro, she, it seems like she snaps right back. And I thought there must have been a moment where she really thought about it and was like, you know, if this happened, if, if I am actually taking seriously the fact that I keep getting into these dangerous situations and I, I will die at some point. What, what would I leave behind? What would I be sorry about? What would I regret? And so the idea of regrets was really interesting to me. And I thought that, you know, from the material that was there, the thing that she might be thinking about that she would really regret is how she treated Sana and how mm -hmm. like she sort of made her feel like, she didn't care and she obviously did because they're still kind of locked in this you know this battle mm -hmm. and uh so i wanted to show that and i was really happy that elizabeth was so for that and everybody else was so for it and so it was a really nice opportunity to write this kind of romance that you know does not have a happily ever after because it's afra <laughs> sorry like that's mm -hmm. like usually the contract you make with a reader in, in romance. So I write a lot of romance of like, this is a happily ever after. And I was like, okay, this one isn't, mm -hmm. but we can still kind of show, you know, the way that they were when they were in love and a little bit softer and a little bit younger. And when this seems like an actual possibility, um, I thought that would be a really interesting, interesting arc. And um, I really enjoyed uh, writing that for them and writing that for Afra because I think like one of her ongoing battles is she does have emotions and she hates that and she's really trying, mm -hmm. you know, not to show that. I feel like uh, both Kieran and, and Simon Spurrier wrote really great stuff for that in both, you know, Darth Vader and the, then the Afra comic. And so I just wanted to, to show that a little bit more. And that was basically an opportunity to delve into something that was interesting to me that was already there um, that I felt like I could maybe add something to. 
Yeah, and I'm going to apologize for not being 100% sure about the order of events, but would you say that it's Afra's reconnection with Sana in, you know, in the whole Sunspot prison scenario that actually reawakens her consideration of the possibility that yes, she actually does want to live, she does want to survive? I mean, I think that was that's definitely um, kind of the the culmination of things. I, I felt like um, the moment when she realizes that she wants to live, and she doesn't, I don't think she realizes it fully. I think it's later in the prison when she really has to sit there and, you know, she has to stop and sit and think for maybe one of the first times in her life. And right. so <laughs> I felt like that's when, that's when the idea of regrets would really be hitting her. That's maybe when she would realize what, you know, what had been building in her for so long. But I think the other key moment is um, the moment when Vader almost does kill her and he only doesn't because she knows where Luke, Skywalker is and she uh, kind yes. of blackmails him with that mm -hmm. um, which is you know, very very not smart as triple zero points out very <laughs> not smart uh, but very Afra. I, I felt like that moment was important because um, up until then you know she's been kind of seeing Vader as a mark like she's figuring out what can I learn about him how can I manipulate this situation how can I ex access this incredible power he has but she's also still kind of in enjoying this idea that she's important to like this you know really important person in the galaxy mm -hmm. who's you know he's his 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 adventures are sort of fabled throughout the galaxy and so I thought that um in that moment she kind of realizes wow I'm he actually just sees me as a bug. Like he sees me as like this sort of unimportant, inconsequential cog in his machine. And I think up until then, even though, you know, she has been like calculating, how can I manipulate him? Like, uh, you know, how can I mani manipulate the situation? Like, obviously I'm trying to kind of like get through it and make this work to the best of my advantage. But I felt like she also did kind of take a little bit of like, I, I don't know what the word is like pride or, or whatever her version of that in the fact that Vader sought her out. He saw her specific expertise. He needed her. He sent her on these really important missions. Uh, she kind of gained whatever his version of trust is. You know, the, these are all things that are like, oh, wow, pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, and in that moment, she kind of realizes he, he, he would just kill me without a second thought. Like, that is not hard for him. That is something he would absolutely do. I am not important to this. He could just go find some other cog to do all these missions for him. Mm -hmm. And even though she would never admit that, I, I think that's that's really kind of upsetting. That's that's kind of this realization of how another person sees you. And it's it's not what you thought, and it's actually you know definitely not as, as good as what you thought. And so I thought, like, even with her kind of, you know, limited understanding of, of human emotion, mm -hmm. she would kind of make that connection later where she realizes, oh, this is this is how I made Sana feel. And I did care about her. I do care about her. And even though I'm, you know, not the greatest person and I don't have the best <laughs> moral compass and I'm really bad at relationships, I think if I, I died, I would regret the the fact that she thinks that I think of her that way and that she thinks that, that maybe nothing between us was real for me. Um, so I felt like it was, 
it was a journey that we were taking her on that was kind of based in something we saw in the comic, but that was something I, I was kind of figuring out, like, what were the, the feelings underneath this? What was the kind of arc for her between when she started working for Vader and then when she's kind of at her lowest point? Yeah, I, I think you did a terrific job with it. And also then what you put in there for Emily Wu Zeller to be able to do with the performance, like I, I think back to her ruminations after she realizes, as you, you know, said, Vader just thinks of her like a bug and that could squash her. Like Emily's performance really brings out the, you know, the, oh gosh, the word I'm looking for, just, you know, how, how emotional, you know, how emotionally that does impact her, even though she's not somebody who really particularly wants to be in touch with her emotions because she, she talks about being soft and that she doesn't want to be soft, that she sees that as weakness. And yet she, you know, is able to tie that back into kind of the whole story of her, you know, emotional journey as a human being. And I think Emily's performance really captures what you, you know, what you scripted out as well. Yeah, I mean, Emily is incredible. Like, she's an incredible actress and an incredible audiobook narrator, and we were so lucky to have her. I mean, I made her basically read this, like, 300-page internal monologue, and, <laughs> of course, there are other parts to it, and, um, you know, I think the whole production is just beautiful. Like, Nick did such a beautiful job on it. But, you know, if we didn't have someone who could really sell all of that as Afra, I feel like it, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have worked because mm -hmm. that that's the sort of the key component you know yeah um, so yeah I thought she did an amazing job this this asked a lot of her both in terms of just her you know vocal cords but also in terms of what she had to play and um, I was really moved by hearing her and then talking to her about it and I actually asked I think on our our comic con panel, like what was kind of your, your favorite part of this to do? Not because I want you to just give me compliments, but because <laughs> I'm curious, like you had, to, you had to do so much. You, you had to, you know, act out all these different scenarios. And sometimes you had to do that in the space of a page. Mm -hmm. um, and I was very moved because I think, you know, if I was doing it, like if I was an actor and I was doing it, of course I would say like the most fun part was like, you know, the, the action parts, like the battle, like the first scene with Maz where she gets to have this like kind of swinging bravado and this like mm -hmm. attitude and, you know, all of these things that are just so fun and charismatic and amazing. And she actually said that her favorite parts were the, the flashbacks at university, which are mm. sort of like the, the romance with Sana. And I think she said something like she felt like they were very like tender and, and moving. And it, it, it sort of like showed her kind of what was underneath the character. And I, I just thought that was really lovely that she she sort of enjoyed those um, those softer parts. Um, not just because those were some of the like purely original scenes I wrote, but mm -hmm. because, you know, that that is not uh, I don't think an obvious choice. And so I really loved that she liked getting into those kind of um, those gentler parts of Afra. Yeah. And 
it really does make that whole audio drama sing, I feel. Um, All right, we're going to pause it right there. We've still got a lot more to the conversation, and I'm very excited to share that with you tomorrow. For now, though, I do just want to give a quick shout-out to our friends at Audible and thank them for letting us give you a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial of their service if you go to sw7x7.com audible. And heck, the Dr. Afro audio drama, not a bad thing to test out. <laughs> the whole service on, it's a pretty good listen. So check out sw7x7.com audible, and thank you very much for considering it. That's going to do it for the show today. Thank you so much for joining me and Sarah. As always, may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Star Wars 7x7 is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2020 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.